Revelation chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 9 through 17. That's the section we're going to try to cover tonight. We're also going to get into chapter 7 a little bit because it ties in with parts of chapter 6. We're going to skip a section of chapter 7 and come back to it another week. But uh, So be paying close attention. Don't just assume that we've covered it all. We won't. Um, starting in chapter uh, 6, verse 9. When he, who's he, by the way? Open the fifth seal. Who's he? Jesus. When he, Jesus, opened the fifth seal... I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been was completed. Now we're going to stop here because we're going to come back to the uh, verses 12 through 17 a little bit later in the study. But what does this deal with the fifth seal right now? Alright, so Jesus now, John's up in heaven, he's seeing what's going on during the tribulation period. We saw last week that he opened the first four seals and the white horse, the red horse, the black horse, and the pale horse all went out. And we talked about what that was all about. And now tonight we're looking at the fact that he opens the fifth seal. And the fifth seal, John, when he sees that open, he sees souls of people who have been killed during the tribulation underneath the altar. And what are they crying out? What are they saying? How long until you avenge our blood? Now, this is further evidence that this is people who have been killed during the tribulation. Here's what I want you to see. Back when Jesus was on the cross and He was being killed, what did He say? What's that? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then in Acts chapter 7, we see Stephen being put to death as they were stoning him. What did Stephen say when they were putting him to death? He said the same thing. Father, forgive them. But the heart cry of the people at this point now are saying what? Uh, Repay them. This is at a different time period now. During the age of grace, people were saying, Father, forgive them. At this point, these people have been killed during the tribulation period. And they're saying, how long until you avenge our blood? What were they told? Wait a little longer until when? Until the rest of them are killed. Until the rest of the people like you are going to be put to death for their faith. But they were given white robes and told to wait a little bit longer. I want you to go with me. Jump over to chapter 7 now. And look at verse 9 there. I'm going to read verse 9 to the end of the chapter. It says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He he who sits on the throne will spread His tent over them. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Now there's a very interesting thing I want you to see here. Is Here's that passage that we've always talked about how there will be no tears in heaven. You ever grow up hearing how there will be no tears in heaven? I'm not sure that the Bible actually teaches that. I believe there will be no more tears in heaven after a certain point. At this point, the Scripture talks about how Jesus is going to wipe the tears from their eyes. Where are they when He does this? They're in His presence. The Bible also talks about how those of us who are His children, who have already been given salvation, are going to one day stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Where we're going to be judged according to what we have done after salvation in the body, whether good or, the Scripture says bad, a better translation of that would be worthless I actually read a book by Erwin Lutzer, the pastor at Moody Church up in Chicago. And he believes without question that there will be tears in heaven for Christians as well who realize what they've missed out on at that judgment seat of Christ. Then at that point, he believes God will wipe away the tears and we'll move on from there. But the scripture talks about how there will be those of us who will suffer loss in heaven 
because of the fact that we weren't faithful enough to let him do all that he wanted to do and that we will see what we could have had or what he could have accomplished. Now, we can't take the scripture any more than that because it's dangerous to add to it or to say, well, I think this. Or... All we know is that the Bible says that not everybody gets the same amount of reward in heaven. And I grew up too long in a generation of people in church who, when I was a kid, they used to always say, whenever you talk about reward in heaven, they'd say, oh, that's okay, I'll just be glad to be there. That's enough for me. And you know what? That sounded spiritual when I was a kid. But the more that I realized what the Scripture teaches, the more that, that I realized that went in complete contradiction to who Jesus was and what He said. He was the one who was saying, don't store up treasure in this heaven. I mean, on this earth, store up in heaven treasure. He's the one that talks about working for your reward. Paul said, don't let anybody take your crown. He's talking about, again, our rewards. Folks, let me just tell you, don't have the mindset that says, well, I'll just be happy to be there. That's, that's not what Jesus teaches. Because eternity is a long, long time. And I don't think any of us realize that we, the life we have, we're about to move into is a real life, just like the one we have, but so much better. But it's not sitting on a, on a cloud playing a harp. There's a whole lot more to it. Alright? But now, this is a very interesting thing here. We can actually get a picture from what we've just looked at here in Revelation 6 and Revelation 7 of a little bit of what life will be like, or is like, for those who are in heaven right now. What are some things that we can, just from this passage right here, in chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, and chapter 7, verses 9 through uh, 17, what are some things that we can see right now that give us a picture of what life's going to be like for people that are there now? Go ahead. Uh, I'm sorry, but the thing that really strikes me about 9 and 10 is the issue of time and how it doesn't just go away. Well, this is a very interesting thing. Did you see how he just brought up? They're actually sensing time. Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's been a while. And it's, how long? It's not, are you going to Avengers? It's How long until you two? At this, at least at this point, it's obvious that they're sensing time. What about how? space, too? Okay, talk to me. There's space. They're saying there's so many in the white robes, they can't even hardly mm -hmm. fathom it. Yet at the same time, can you see that they're spirit beings, yet physical beings at the same time? It's very interesting. That's what I want to Are these the same? The same as what? The, the, the souls referenced under the altar in chapter 6 that receive a white robe. I make the point of saying they're the souls. They're the same as the ones in chapter 7. Yes, take a look. Take a look again. And, and look at uh, verse uh, 13. Then one of the elders in, uh, asked me, These in the white robes, who are they and where did they come from? And I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Now, there are some that try to say, Well, these are the ones that only killed in the second half of the tribulation. Because some try to say that's the great tribulation and the first half is, is the tribulation. But the second... I actually don't believe that this is a delineation between these are the ones who are killed in the second half. I think this is talking about all those who have been killed during that old time period um, and, and all. But... These are the ones who are being killed. And these are the same ones we just saw in chapter 6. Remember, they saw, but here's what I want you to see. He saw their souls under the altar. And their souls were crying out. And then what happens? They were each given a white robe to wear. So they must have some kind of a physical body because now they're able to put on a robe. Yet at the same time, what are they? Yes, they're given a white robe. But take a look at verse 7. I'm sorry, chapter 7, verses 9 and following. There was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Right. Well, it appears that they were given a white robe to wear at that time. They're each given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer. In context, it appears that they were putting them on at that time. But what are they holding? So they must have hands, or the ability to hold on to things. Do you also notice the fact that they all looked? like the nationality they were when they were in the earth. Did you thought about that? I mean, John didn't look at these people and say, man, there's a lot of people. He said there was distinction between what nationality, tribe, people, language. Folks, when, 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 when uh, um, Elijah and Moses appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration there with Jesus, you have to keep in mind there weren't Polaroids back then. 
They probably had never seen Moses or Elijah. It been many years since they had died. Yet, Peter, James, and John recognized who they were right away. I think we're going to know each other. I think we're going to know and we're going to be recognizable from whatever nationality we were before. We have a tendency sometimes to fall into this mindset of thinking that everybody's going to be the same and everybody's going to look alike. And here it appears that they don't. What else are some other things we can see here? They were worshiping, yes. Have you thought about the fact they can communicate? They're able to communicate. They're able to approach the throne of God. How about the fact that they still had, they were able to remember the earth, their time on the earth? I mean, think about the fact that they're saying, how long until you avenge our blood? They knew what had happened down on the earth. It wasn't like they're sitting there going, well, how did I get here? Folks, what I'm trying to get across to you is this. The life that you are living right now is very, very similar to the life that you're going to live for eternity. Like we talked about last week, when a baby moves from the womb, out of the womb into life, it doesn't die. It just moves from the life that it knows to the next. But the individual, if you will, pretty much stays the same. They breathe in a different manner. They're fed in a different manner. But they move right into the next life. And I believe that when we die, the Bible teaches we don't die. Your soul is going to be alive forever and ever. And even if you go to heaven or you go to hell, you go to wherever it is He's got prepared for you. But you just pass from this life to the next. And when you do, I believe the Bible shows that you're going to be recognizable for who you were before. You're going to be able to communicate. You're going to have a body of some sort. Yet it's going to be spirit. I want you to get excited about the fact that there are some clues in the Scripture to what's coming. Like relationships. So those three parts go with us. I believe so. Body, soul, and I, I think in some way, yes. Now Paul goes on in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians to say the kind of uh, body, if you will, that you put into the ground is not the kind that comes out. Just like with a seed, what you put into the ground, it comes up differently. But yes, we're going to have body, soul, and spirit appearances. And when he came, and after his, his, his uh, resurrection, um, he went, he's able to walk through walls, yet at the same time he said, they think, you think I'm a ghost, give me something to eat. And we don't record that it hit the floor. Right? right? Thomas was able to touch him and feel it. Folks, the life to come is going to be pretty incredible. It's going to be pretty incredible. So, I'm just going just to pull that out. There's going to be many who are going to be killed during this time period for their faith in Jesus Christ. And it appears that the number is immense. Immense for that. So, yes, ma'am. You have children that die. You have 100 year old people that die. Are we going to all age in heaven and get to a certain age and stop? You, you, you've asked a question that nobody knows the answer to. There are those out there who will tell you that everybody's going to be 33 years old. <laughs> I'm serious. This is where they, where they come from as they say that when we see Him, we'll be like Him. It says in 1 John chapter 3. Uh, and Jesus died at 33 years old. And so He was 33 when He died. He's forever 33 because they recognized Him. And there's, there are those out there who say we'll all be 33. I don't know. I, I couldn't tell you. I, I, could, I couldn't tell you. Uh, the, Jesus said that there'll be no marrying and giving in marriage in heaven. How I'll know Becky, because I believe I will know Becky, but not know her as my wife, or maybe I'll remember that she was my wife, but it won't matter. You know, maybe at that point she'll be jumping cartwheels if she's not married to me anymore. I don't know, but 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 uh, I just say those things to see if she even listens to the tapes when she's not here. So, but uh, there are things we don't know. There are things we don't know. But I wanted to give you a glimpse of the fact of this is this is going to be a really cool life to come. It's going to be a really cool life to come. I just actually read a book that was recommended to me this weekend. I just finished doing a men's conference this past weekend. And at the men's conference, one of the men who shared a testimony talked about a child of theirs who became extremely ill and actually was in a coma, wasn't supposed to live, was that way for a long time. And when she came back, he was sharing about the miracle of her even being alive. But ever since she had been gone from them, if you will, all she talks about now is the fact she wants to go back above the clouds and be with God. And she described things that an eight-year-old would not understand 
unless they had intensively studied the scriptures their whole lives, and she, of course, hadn't. She was a child of God. She was a believer. Yet at the same time, she described about just going into his presence. She described him as just, you could see him, but, you, but he was light. And she just said just to be in him felt so incredible. When can I go back above the clouds and be with God? And at the same time, if you go back and you take a look at those colors that are all described, it's a rainbow. You go back and study Revelation, those of you who know how to do the gemstones and the colors, it's the rainbow. It's encircling the throne. And there's a lot out there, folks. Now, let me also caution you, there are a lot of books out there, people who have said they've been to the other side, and that they're lies. The enemy can deceive people as well. There's a big difference between losing oxygen and seeing things. Those of you that have held your breath too long, uh, you've seen some things probably, you know. Uh, but at the same time, there's a difference between what goes on in our brains because of lack of oxygen, and there's a difference between those who have really been taken in the, spirit, in the body or out of the body, as Paul said, I don't know, to, to places and that are real. And you need to make sure that whatever you read lines up with Scripture. If it doesn't, throw it out. Throw it out. It may sound real good and be wonderful. I don't believe all these stories of this long tunnel with a light at the end match up with Scripture. The Bible says that He'll come and get you. Carried by angels into His presence. I don't think you have to make some kind of a journey on your own to get you into His presence. Absent with the body, He's present with the Lord. Alright? Now, let's go back to Revelation. Jim, yes, sir? You made the statement, I believe, They're ones that are killed during the tribulation. Mm-hmm. That they came out of the terrible suffering. Came out of the what? The terrible suffering. Right, during the tribulation period. Okay, now that being the case, where are all the martyrs before? They're already, they're already in his presence. The one, you know what I'm saying? These, the, the martyrs that have been killed before at this time are in the presence of God, just like Abraham is in the presence of God, just like, as we saw, Moses and Elijah, we talked about, appeared with Jesus and talked with him about what must come, take place in Jerusalem. Uh, the Bible is very clear that once those who go to be, die go to be with the Lord. Jesus talked about it in Luke 16, parable of Lazarus and the rich man entered in the presence of God. This is a distinct group. Remember, the elders are already there representing the church because the church has been raptured. We're in white robes at that time. You remember, because we've been given white robes, but we're wearing crowns, and the 24 elders are representative of the church. But at the same time, this right now is just, remember what's going on. This is why I told you chapter 5 was very important to understand the rest of Revelation. Chapter 5 shows us that Jesus is opening the seven-sealed scroll, and the seven-sealed scroll represents the terms of getting the earth back. Remember, the redemption of the land. When he opens each of these seals, it's tied in with getting the earth back. This is what's going on during that seven-year time period. This is what's going on. So this right here is referring to those who have been killed during that time period. That's who they are. They've, been, they've come out of the Great Tribulation uh, at that time. All right. Now, back in chapter 6, we're going to do a really intense Bible study here. And I'm going to put you through a little bit of work today while we're together. So I'm going to walk you through it. But I want to teach you tonight how to study Scripture deeper. All right, it's one thing to cross-reference. It's one thing to, to, to look up a word in your concordance. And if some of you don't know how to do that, please come see me afterwards. And I'll begin to teach you some of those things if you need to. But I know there's some of you that are here that are ready to go even deeper. And I want to teach you a little bit tonight from what happens in the sixth seal of how to go deeper. And we're going to try to do it together uh, as a group so we can go from there. All right, so go back now to Revelation chapter 6. We're going to look at verses um, 12 through the end of the chapter. It says, I watched as he, again Jesus, opened the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red, and the stars in the sky fell to the earth as late figs dropped from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The sky receded like a scroll, rolling up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. And the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave and every free man hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and rocks, fall on us, and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne, and from the great wrath, or from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? 
Now, we're going to take some time to break these verses down because there's a lot here and there could be some confusion as well. Now, I need to stop right now and remind you of what we talked about in the very first lesson on how to study the book of Revelation. When you study prophetic literature or apocalyptic literature, you have to understand that you may not fully understand all that's going to go on, but the Scripture teaches that we are to read it, Take it to heart so that if you happen to be alive, when that happens, it will make sense. Remember we back, went back and looked at Psalm 22 and how David wrote about how they pierced my hands and my feet and all my bones are out of joint. A band of evil men have encircled me and they've cast lots for my clothing. And we looked at how in that passage in Psalm 22, David wrote, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we looked at how if you were alive at the day when David wrote it, it might not have made a whole lot of sense because there wasn't any time that we know of where David's bones were all out of joint. There wasn't a time where they pierced his hands and his feet. But yet, if you had read David's psalm, Psalm 22, taken it to heart and knew the Scripture, and you happened to be alive at the time when Jesus was crucified, and you were there in Jerusalem, and you heard Jesus cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Your brain would have gone, Wait a minute, that reminds me of Psalm 22. And then if you knew the Scripture, you would then stand there and go, Wait a minute, They've just circled around him and they've cast lots for his clothing. That talks about that in Psalm 22. Or, wait a minute, they pierced his hands and his feet. Hey, David was talking about Jesus. See, that's what prophetic scripture is about. Now, go with me real quick to Revelation chapter 1 again. And someone read verse 3 for us, nice and loud. Revelation 1, verse 3. Alright, see what he says? Blessed are those who read it and do what? Take it to heart. He doesn't say blessed are those who figure this book out. There are going to be things that are clear. If you're able to study the scriptures, they'll become clear. There are going to be things that aren't clear. There are also going to be things that godly men whom you respect do not agree on. Such as timing of certain events. Whether or not this passage of Revelation 7 represents all the people who are martyred, or whether or not it just represents those in the seven-year period. I'm teaching you what I believe it is according to Scripture, why I believe what it is. But let me just tell you right now, we're about to move into a realm where I disagree with Tim LaHaye. If you look at some of Tim LaHaye's charts, he has the uh, first six seals and the trumpets, which occur in the seventh seal, all in the first half of the tribulation. He has from the midpoint of the tribulation where the Antichrist steps into the temple, he has from that point to the end only the seven bowls. I believe that actually the seven trumpets and the seven bowls are all in the second half of the tribulation, and I'll over time show you scripturally why. That doesn't mean, you know, I'm better than Tim LaHaye or he's better than me if he's right. But I just want you to understand, we don't fully know. We can speculate, we can guess, but really what I want you to understand is, don't now at this point, if you say, I don't think I agree with Jim, don't get into a place where you start to decide who's right and who's wrong and who's the better Christian. We're to read this book, take to heart what's written in it, and if we are to fully understand it, God will reveal that to us. The good news is, I don't believe that we're going to be alive when a lot of this stuff is happening. So I'm not going to say, if you're alive when this happens, it will make sense. Yet at the same time, he's told us to read this whole book. Okay? He's told us to read this whole book. So we're about to move into some really interesting study, though, as we break this down. Because there was something in what I read here as I prepared this study that really, really threw me a curveball. And it wasn't until literally tonight... As I was finally praying over my notes and saying, Lord, I'm going to go teach this, and I've got a real problem here. Would you give me some clarity, because I don't want to teach something that I'm not comfortable with. And to praise the Lord, tonight He gave me clarity, and I'm going to walk you through it. But when He opens the sixth seal, there's an earthquake, the sun turns black, the moon turns red, the stars fall to the sky as late figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. And the sky recedes like a scroll rolling up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Now, here's the problem I ran into. According to what we've just talked about, at what point in the tribulation do the first six seals, or the first seven seals occur? Or at least the first six. First half. Okay? Put a bookmark here and go with me to Matthew chapter 24. I'm going to share with you my conundrum. And then I'll show you what I believe God has opened my eyes to by taking you on that deep, deep, deep study. 
In Matthew 24, Jesus has been dealing with the signs of His return in the end of the age. And He talks about a portion of it. But in verse 15, He then gives them this warning. Matthew 24, verse 15. So when you see standing in the holy place... The abomination that causes desolation. This is what Daniel talked about with the Antichrist stepping into the temple, if you will. And we'll see that dealt with a lot more down the road. When you see the, the standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation, spoken through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down to take anything out of the house. By the way, for those with the kind of roofs we have, we don't understand that. Back then, their roofs were flat, and they would actually kind of have like their screen porch, if you will, or their sun porch up there, and you would have an outside staircase that you go down to go into your house. He's saying, if you're on the roof and you see this happen, don't even go into your house get your coat. All right? Let no one, verse 18, in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in the winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. And if those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. Now at that time, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there he is, don't believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect if that were possible. See, I have told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, there he is out in the desert, don't go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Immediately, listen closely now, after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give us light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory, and He will send His angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather His elect from the four winds, one from one end of the heavens to the other. Now in this passage here, look at verse 29 again. It says, immediately after the distress of those days. This is after the midpoint, if you will, of the tribulation where the Antichrist steps into the temple, and the Jews are told to run and get out of there because He's going to go after them. After the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. And I've got to be honest with you, folks, that sounds sure a lot like the sixth seal of, of Revelation, does it not? It almost is word for word. And one of the problems that I've had is, the hermeneutic that I use, and I use that word just to show you that I know a little bit about theology, or about a seminary, the, hermeneutic, the word hermeneutic is your, is, your, is your method of interpretation of Scripture. The hermeneutic that I have always used is, I want to let Scripture interpret Scripture. I don't want to ever try to guess at it, well, I think it's this, or it lines up with what I read, heard on Oprah, you know, or anything like that. I want Scripture to interpret Scripture. And in my studying of the Scripture in Revelation, it appears that that is happening, the sixth seal is happening, before the mid-trip point of the tribulation. Yet it's almost word for word what Jesus described in Matthew 24, verse 29, which He says happens after the midpoint of the tribulation, which really started to give me problems. Now, I'll be honest with you, there are guys that I have do research for me in, in, in my ministry, and I called Tony Kessinger, I've called some other guys, and I've read many a book, and they weren't a whole lot of help. Tony was a little bit of help, but he and I disagreed over this and wrestled over this for a long time this past couple of weeks. And tonight, I've come to a conclusion that as much as they look like the exact same thing, I can prove to you they're not. And I want to walk you through that and help you get there yourself. So what we need to do is, if I had a dry race board, it would be even easier at this point. But in your mind, you're going to have to, let's take a look closely at these two. As much as they looked exactly the same, Revelation 6 and Matthew 24, I want to show you that there's distinct enough differences to help us understand. And then we're going to look at some Old Testament passages. And I'm going to ask you to tell me which one they're referring to. Whether Revelation 6 or Matthew 24. Alright? So let's go and break this down now. Uh, let's compare them. In Revelation chapter 6 verses 12 through 14, we have, if you want to make notes, this will be helpful for you to kind of put it in front of you. There's an earthquake. And it says in Revelation 6 verses 12 through 14 that when this earthquake happens, this is the sixth seal of Revelation... Every island and mountain was moved. That's a pretty good earthquake for every island and every mountain to be moved on the earth at this time. The sun turns black like goat hair or sackcloth made out of goat hair. 
The moon turns blood red. Stars fall from the sky. And then we see the sky parts like a scroll. And as much as I've tried to break that down and how it was written in this passage and this passage, and whether it was Greek or whether it was Hebrew, it appears to be that there's some kind of a break in the heavens of some sort. At this point in Revelation chapter 6, when the sixth seal is opened, kind of like the, the, the temple was torn, the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom, there's some kind of parting in the heaven at this time. Um, and then, like I say, it appears the sun and moon though are still there. They don't disappear. Alright? Now in Matthew 24 verse 29 though, the sun is darkened and there's a possibility, and I'll show you why, there's a possibility that it's gone at that point. Okay? Remember, Matthew 24 is dealing with the, the, the events in the heavens right before the return of Jesus Christ to set up His kingdom. Revelation 6 is dealing with something that's prior, just prior to the midpoint of the tribulation. In Matthew 24, though, what color is the moon? There's no light at all. It's not red. You're right. Look closely. It's not the same thing. In Revelation 6, the moon is red. But in Matthew 24, the moon doesn't give its light. Now, how does the moon get its light? From the sun. So there's a possibility that the sun is gone. Or the moon is gone. Alright, so this is slightly different. Now, here's part of the things that start looking similar. Stars fall in Matthew 24 and Revelation 6. We see in uh, Matthew 24, the heavenly bodies are shaken. But in this passage, it's very clear that right after that happens, Jesus immediately returns to the earth in Matthew 24. In Revelation chapter 6, though, Jesus does not return for a while. So the, the opening of the seal, the sixth seal in Revelation 6, is not the same thing as what Jesus talked about in Matthew 24, verse 29, even though they look very, very, very similar. And the reason I wrestled with it for so long is they're almost word for word. And I'm saying, wait a minute. They're almost word for word, but it wasn't until you go even deeper to look at it, they're not quite the same. So what I want us to do now is I want us to go and take a look at some other places where this is referenced or where these are referenced. And you guys have to help me or show me you got it by telling me which one we, you think we're referring to. So let's go start with Zechariah chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. Zechariah chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. I'm going to read it to you, and you tell me whether or not it's referring to Matthew 24, which is right before Jesus' return, or whether it's Revelation 6, right before the midpoint of the tribulation. Alright? Zechariah 14, verses 1-7. through I'll wait for you, because I really want you to see this. This is really... You're going to be actually pretty shocked when you read what's, what's said here. Alright? Zechariah 14, verse 1. The day of the Lord is coming, when your plunder will be divided among you. I will gather all the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. The city will be captured, the houses ransacked, and women raped. Half of the city will go into exile, but the rest of the people will not be taken from the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as He fights in the day of battle. On that day His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley, with half of the mountain moving north and half moving south. You will flee by my mountain valley, for it will extend to Azel. You will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come, and all the holy ones with him. On that day there will be no light, no cold or frost. It will be a unique day without daytime or nighttime, a day known to the Lord. When evening comes, there will be light. So is this Matthew 24 or Revelation 6? Matthew 24. Why do we know it's Matthew 24? Because the Lord comes right then at that time. So Matthew 24 is showing us that there is a major cataclysmic event in the heavens where the sun doesn't give its light anymore, the moon doesn't give its light anymore. There's a chance that what we know is how you light the day and the night and all that will totally be gone. And here it says it'll be day, a day like no other. It'll be a day known to the Lord. There won't be any light, but there won't be cold or frost either. I mean, think about it. If we lose the sun, what, what, what's our first thought going to be? get a parka. You know, I mean, it's going to be cold. And no, it, the losing of the sun will not affect the temperature. Oh, and, and then, go ahead. And, uh, and seven, it says, and about that in evening time, there will be light. 
Right? Now again, we have to be real careful that we don't get confused because in Revelation 20, we're going to see when the new heaven and new earth are created and the new Jerusalem comes down and there's no need of a sun because Jesus is the light. We don't know for a fact though that that's how it's going to be during the millennium. We can't, we can't assume that because, to be really honest with you, I don't know how it's going to be in the millennium. But it does appear that between the tribulation, the end of tribulation and the tribulation and the beginning of the millennium, something major is going to go on in the heavens with the earth and the sun and the moon and the stars and all that. Go ahead, Duke. Right, light was made before the sun was created. If you look back to creation, you remember that? He said that there'd be light and there was light, and then he separated the sun to light the day and the moon at night. And God can do it however he wants, but it appears, then this is will help us with the sixth seal. It appears that at the end of the tribulation, God is going to do something massive with the sun and the stars and the moon and everything. And the whole world's going to see it. See, right now, if the stars fall from the sky, who's going to see it? <laughs> no. Who's going to see it right now? Because stars fall now, don't they? I mean, you've seen falling stars, haven't you? It's not something you haven't seen. The people who are on the dark side of the earth, if you will, you know, are the ones that are going to see it because the stars aren't seen on the side where the sun is, and depending on how the earth is. But somehow at that point, when Jesus comes back, everybody sees all this happen at the same time. It's going to be very interesting. It's going to be very, very interesting. Maybe it's the fact that the sun goes out. You know, at that time. And it makes darkness. And then Jesus comes. And people see the stars falling. And the moon's not given its light. Well, maybe because the sun doesn't exist. And, and Jesus comes back. And then there'll be light. And go ahead. With the, the islands and the mountains and the, the earth shifting, originally it was one landmass. And it's all coming back. It's all being put back to the way. It's all being redeemed. Well, again, that's a possibility. Uh, there, we don't know 100% that it was that way. It appears that there are people that speculate. Maybe I'm, I'm pretty sure during the flood, God did some moving around of stuff. That's without question. Whether or not it was all one landmass or not, we can guess. But definitely during the flood, things were moved around. And there's a chance he's moving it back. We don't know. But you're right, because it is tied to the opening of the seals and him getting his land back. Yep. But again, don't know. Can't, we can't, we can't, we can guess on that one. We, we can't take it too far. This is a good, good speculation, though. But keep in mind, what's going on in the sixth seal then is not the fulfillment of this, but a picture of it. There's a massive earthquake that affects, as you remember from Revelation chapter 6, affects every island and every mountain. It doesn't remove them, they're not gone, they're not leveled. That's going to happen later, but they're all moved. Now, let's just hypothetically say that there's a massive enough earthquake that every island and every mountain on this planet is moved. What's probably going to happen? Tsunamis. What else is going to happen? Volcanoes. What happens when we have volcanoes? You have a lot of billows of smoke, right? And ash. What's going to happen to the sun? It's going to go dark, but it won't disappear. Do you understand? So the darkening of the sun might be tied in with the earthquakes and all that stuff that's going on. God's getting people's attention. Hey, something's going on. And we saw in Revelation 6, people on the earth at that time cry out and they realize God's involved in this and who's going to be able to stand against Him. Alright, so you're one for one. Zechariah 14, 1-7 is Matthew. They get harder. I'm telling you now, they get harder. Go to Joel chapter 2. And I understand that Joel's kind of hard to find. So go to Joel 1. <laughs> And then you can find Joel too. It's actually right before Amos. <laughs> that was helpful. Thank you. Yeah. Joel chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 28 through 32. It says, And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. And your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and what? Columns of smoke or billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said among the survivors whom the Lord calls. Is this Revelation 6 and the 6th seal or is this Matthew 24? This is Revelation 6. Yes. Why? 
The moon is blood. Okay? Well, his spirit's being poured out at this point. I'm sorry? People can still be saved. In Matthew 24, if you remember, it's going to be tied in. We'll see this later on. It's going to be tied in with the last bowl and the last vials poured out on the earth. It's done. Time for salvation is over at that point. Here people can still be saved after this. And he's still calling out to them. But also we see another evidence is the moon's turned to blood. It doesn't disappear. Okay? So this is referring to the Revelation 6, 6 seal. All right. Yes, yes. Those are the ones who have somehow miraculously survived the tribulation. They've come to faith and they, they weren't killed by the Antichrist or by the other stuff that's happening on the earth. Yes, those are the elect that he's coming to get. Yep, good question. All right, next one. Isaiah 13. By the way, two for two. Good for you. Isaiah 13, verses 9 through 13. Now, this one should be easier to find. There's a lot of pages that say Isaiah, so they're a little easier to find. This is Isaiah 13, verses 9 through 13. It says, See, the day of the Lord is coming, a cruel day with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land desolate and to destroy the sinners within it. The stars of heaven and their constellations will not show their light. The rising sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. I will punish the world for its evil, the wicked for their sins. I will put an end to the arrogance of the haughty, and, and will humble the pride of the ruthless. I will make man scarcer than pure gold, more rare than the gold of Ophir. Therefore I will make the heavens tremble, and the earth will shake from its place at the wrath of the Lord Almighty in the day of His burning anger. Good for you. Why? Why is this Matthew? Yep, everything's dark. The wrath of God is actually happening during the tribulation. Yes. But this is the moon, is one of your clues here as well. Here the moon's not red. Yes. No, this one doesn't this one doesn't talk about it. That's why I'm saying it's a little trickier one. This is just saying a day of the Lord is coming. And this is going to happen before that. That's why you have to look closely at it. We can assume. Um, that it's talking, and actually it is talking about the fact that he will come, but not referenced specifically right here. It's mainly talking about the fact that a day of the Lord is coming, and it's a day of wrath. But here we see the stars of the heavens and the constellation will not show their light, the rising sun is going to be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. Sorry? And then he's showing his fierce anger and all that, and man will be scarcer. This is the end. This is the end. Alright, so this one's referring to Matthew 24. I'm going to give you the hardest one. Matthew 34. Matthew 34, verses 1 through 4. Did I say Matthew? Isaiah. Sorry, Isaiah 34. If you actually started turning to Matthew 24, you're either really, really obedient or you don't know your Bible. There's no 34 in Matthew. Isaiah 34. <laughs> I actually started turning to Matthew myself, but Isaiah 34, verses 1 through 4. Now look closely here. Come near you nations and listen. Pay attention you peoples. Let the earth hear and all that is in it. The world and all that comes out of it. The Lord is angry with all nations. His wrath is upon all their armies. He will totally destroy them. He will give them over to slaughter. Their slain will be thrown out. Their dead bodies will send up a stench. The mountains will be soaked with their blood. All the stars of the heavens will be dissolved and the sky rolled up like a scroll. All the starry hosts will fall like withered leaves from the vine, like shriveled figs from the fig tree. This one, Matthew 24, is this one Revelation? Revelation. Alright, we got one for Revelation back here. How many for Revelation? Show your hands. One, two, three, four, five, six. How many for Matthew? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. How many of you chickens didn't vote? One, two, three. Well, see, I'll be honest with you, this one looks a lot more... Now, don't, don't jump to conclusions when I say what I'm about to say, because you're going to jump... Don't jump to conclusions. Listen to the whole statement. This one looks a whole lot more like Revelation than Matthew. But it's Matthew. Here's why. Look at that word, all. Yeah, all. And all the stars, all. And if you go back to what we read last week, where they were given, the portion of the 
But this is, this is actually referring, though, to Matthew, not to Revelation. Right. But you see, the difference is, the difference here is all the stars of the heavens. See, the part that really threw me on this one was, it talks about the sky receding like, like a scroll. That's, that's almost word for word of six seal. And the starry host falling like figs. That sounds like Revelation 6, word for word. But as you really look at it, you realize, wait a minute, there's still stars in the heavens after the sixth seal. There aren't any here. They're all gone. Right. Right. But I didn't. I didn't. I didn't go that far because we haven't got there yet. Okay. So, <laughs> but but yes. Go ahead. Chris has been trying to say something. Then we'll get to you. Go ahead. There's, it's just pure judgment. Good point. But, you, but can you see why this has given me a little bit of a conundrum over the years as I've wrestled with this? Because sure, it sure looks like Matthew and Revelation 6 were very similar, but they're not the same thing. And folks, there's something we can learn from this. Jesus in His mercy is giving a major cataclysmic picture with the sixth seal of the moon turning blood red, the sun going dark, probably because of the billows of smoke from the earthquake and the mountains being moved and the, the islands being moved and the, some stars falling from the sky. He's giving them a wake-up call. And actually, at that point in Revelation, we see they all say, oh, who can stand against the Lord's wrath? But the sad thing is, they don't turn to Him. As you will see as we keep reading in Revelation, the more that He does what He does and says, here who I am, they all of a sudden come to a place where they turn their back on Him and they don't care. Yes, ma'am. And you know what else you have said that is not comforting at all is that, you know, we read these things and in fact a person in this room is not saved, and then they're seeing these signs, it's like, oh, this is truly the Lord Jesus Christ. But what you're saying is we, those of the church age, those who have every opportunity to hear um, the salvation. Well, we're going to be gone at that time. Well, those who have accepted are going to be gone. We just said 80%. Oh, I see what you're saying. I see. Well, and and, 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 uh, let's let's go down that road just a little bit. I'm not sure I'm 100% there yet, but there are some Adrian Rogers, uh, Chuck Swindoll, Dr. David Jeremiah, who all believe that the Bible teaches that if you've been drawn by the Spirit before the rapture and you've said no, there is no opportunity for you to be saved after. Now, some of you say, wait a minute, I read the Left Behind series. Tim LaHaye has those people getting saved afterwards because they woke up. And Well, just because it's in a fictional book doesn't mean that that's the way it's actually going to be, folks. There's a chance, and a very strong chance, that if you've been drawn by the Spirit before the rapture, and you say no, there's a passage in Thessalonians that talks about how they were given a strong delusion so they could not believe at that point because they wouldn't believe when they had the chance. Now, will people be saved during the rapture? I mean, during the tribulation? Definitely. Multitude innumerable of coming people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. But don't assume that it's you. Well, I'll trust Him after these things happen. You know, first of all, who says you're going to live to the rapture? And second of all, there's a strong chance that you might not be able to be saved after the rapture. I'm not going to go to the extent of saying you can't. But it sure does look like that might be possibly true. The only sin that God won't forgive is when you reject His call to salvation through the Holy Spirit. That's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So, so there very well could be those 80% of people in churches who just... They had their chance. Right. Yep. I'm saying there. I think there's most likely not. And to be honest with you, if you're not willing to respond now, when it's kind of easy, are you telling me that when you'll be killed because you say yes to Jesus, you're all of a sudden going to do it? Chances are, probably not. So, 
All the more reason, if you really believe we're as close as we are, make sure you talk to your family members and pray for them that the Spirit of God will draw them and they'll say yes. Guys, we're getting close. We're getting very, very, very close. I don't know how close. Don't ask me. No one knows. But I tell you this much, the stage is being set. And as we've already looked at, oh, by the way, did you all notice, like we looked at last week, every one of those seals could be fulfilled today. Revelation, the first four. The fifth one could be two, where the soul's being killed. That could happen instantly. People could, Christians would be killed. They already, it's already happening. It could, it's happening all over the world, more than it ever has. It could happen in America just like that. We're running out of time. Go ahead. Right. Well, we haven't gotten to that, dealt with that, but yes, no, it's not talking about the rapture. The gathering of the elect right. is not the rapture because of its timing and also for the fact that that's not how it works. So, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The neat thing is, is as you go through all this, there's so many different passages that all tie together. You're doing well to stick with it. You're doing well to stick with it. We're going to stop here for tonight. Uh, Next week we're going to deal with 144,000. Who are they? Um, At what point in the tribulation do they get sealed as witnesses? We're going to talk about that. And we're going to talk about uh, whatever happened to the tribe of Dan, you know, and the lost tribe of Dan. And don't don't get too excited because you're going to be disappointed with my answer. Uh, um, but, uh, um, But... We're going to continue our study next week. Let me pray for us. Father, again, thank you for this chance to open your word. Thank you that we had the chance to just kind of see that uh, what you show us in the book of Revelation has been written throughout the whole Bible. It's been there all along. There's only just a few new things and tidbits we get from the book of Revelation. One being that the, the, what we call millennium is actually going to last a thousand years. We knew that you were going to reign on the earth for a period of time. We just didn't know how long it was going to be. Now we know it's going to be for a thousand years. Uh, but Lord... Everything we read in this study of Revelation, just about everything there, you've been saying it all along through the prophets in the Old Testament. And then Jesus, you have said it yourself when you were on the earth. So Lord, I just pray that we would understand the reality of what's going on, that we would not get panicked like the rest of those who have no hope. Lord, are we excited about the fact that you're going to come and get us soon? Yet at the same time, every day that we're still here means there's others that you're trying to have come into the kingdom. And Lord, as we've seen tonight, there's a chance that those who've been drawn before the rapture won't have the opportunity after. Lord, may that even more make us be willing to just, again, not think it's up to us, but to pray for and share with those that we know and love that need to know you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.